Welcome to the Empowering Midlife Wellness Podcast, where we talk about everything to do with midlife women's wellness and creating the best second half of life. I'm your host, Dr. Susan Hardwick-Smith. I'm a board-certified gynecologist, certified menopause practitioner and hormone replacement specialist, as well as an ICF-certified life and leadership coach and lots of other things. So if you want to check me out and learn about my private practice and other offerings, my website is www www.drsusan.com. That's D-R-S-U-S-A-N.com. It's my commitment to stay neutral by not accepting advertising dollars from sponsors. So all of these episodes are offered freely. And the best way that you can help this podcast is to share it with your friends, leave a positive review, and also keep in mind this is simultaneously posted in video format on YouTube, where you can find me by searching for Dr. Susan Hardwick-Smith. This week on Empowering Midlife Wellness, I'm talking about low sex drive. What is it? What are the causes? And five treatment options that can help get your sex drive back. So the desire for sex is the most common thing that starts to change as we get older. There's lots of other aspects of the whole sexual experience that can change, but that desire part is the part that I want to talk about today because it's the most common thing that comes up. So how do we diagnose a problem in quotation marks with sexual desire? Well, first of all, you have to think it's a problem. So if your sex life has changed or your desire for sex has changed and you don't have a problem with it, then there's no problem to solve. But many of us are really bothered with it. I can tell you, I was really bothered by it in my 40s. As I started experiencing perimenopausal hormone change, my sex drive pretty much went away. And I wanted it to come back. I, I have told this story before, but I would sometimes like wish, okay, it's Valentine's Day or a special birthday. I'm going to go home and do that sexy thing and put on that nighty and just do my part. And I just didn't have it. I would get home and be like, I got nothing. And maybe we just push through it and pretend, but that feels really uncomfortable as well, right? So many of you know these feelings, and I know you do because I talk to patients every single day who are going through this. So I think it's worth going through again. And I'm going to try to break it down a little bit. First of all, what is low sex drive? Like, do you have it or not? And do you need to even treat it? How is it diagnosed? Secondly, what are some causes? And then lastly, I'm going to talk about treatment options, and I'm going to divide it into five different treatment options. So let's see if we can pull all that together. First of all, what is low sex drive? Well, there's a big manual called the DSM. It's up to number five now, but that's a diagnostic manual for psychiatric disorders. <laughs> and low sex drive is described there as hypoactive sexual desire, HSDD. Now, what does that mean? And compared to whom, right? So to have a diagnosis of HSDD, you have to, number one, think there's a problem. Now there's a certain questionnaire. Now I never do this questionnaire formally, but we kind of do it just as a matter of, of through conversation. There's a little questionnaire. It's called the DSDS. That stands for Decreased Sexual Desire Screener. Honestly, I don't know anyone who actually gives you this test to take, but the questions are kind of worth thinking about. So there's five questions. Really, there's kind of only two questions, but let me show you how they're grouped together. 
in order to have this diagnosis, in quotation marks, you have to answer yes to the first four, and I'll tell you what they are in a second, and then you have to answer no to the last one. So let me show you how this goes. Well, here's the first four questions. The first one is, did you used to have satisfaction with sex? Number two, has your desire for sex gotten worse over time? So they're kind of the same question, just phrased a different way. So did it used to be good? Because this particular disorder, in quotation marks, requires that it used to be good and now it's gotten worse. Okay, so did it used to be good and has it gotten worse? Those are questions number one and two. So if we answer yes on those two, we keep going. The third and fourth one are also similar versions of the same thing. So number three is, are you bothered by this change? And the fourth one is, do you wish it was better? So those are kind of the same question, also phrased different ways. So are you bothered by it? And do you wish it was better? So really it's just two questions which amount to, has it gotten worse and is it a problem for you? <laughs> so that kind of sums up those first four. And then number five just uh, speaks to all the various reasons that we could have low sex drive, like medications, like for example, antidepressants and problems with our marriage and you know, actual reasons that one could point to why one might have decreased sex drive. Like you just had surgery on the vagina or you just had a baby. Interestingly, in the number five category is, are you having any menopause symptoms? So, okay, this screener was not made for perimenopause or menopausal women because having menopausal symptoms automatically pushes you out of that diagnosis. So really this diagnosis, and I'm using it with quote, lots of air quotes, right? This diagnosis of hypoactive sexual desire disorder uh, really is for younger women. So we don't use it, really. I never use that term. However, it is interesting just to sort of break down how do we tell if someone has this or not. Basically, it's when the patient comes and says, it's changed and I don't like it and I wish it was better. So, so that's how it's diagnosed. And we don't give you a psychiatric diagnosis because it's normal. And again, I'll put that in air quotes. It's normal, but not optimal. And very frequently a function of hormonal change as we get older, as well as lots of other factors that I'll talk about shortly. Okay, so that is the first part of what is it? It's a decrease in the desire to have sex that's gotten worse over time and it's a problem and you wish it was better and not caused by something obvious like pregnancy, surgery, antidepressants, blood pressure medicines, problems with your marriage, et cetera, et cetera. And side note, or menopausal <laughs> symptoms, but anyway, we'll forget that one for now. And then just to dig into this a little bit more, most people or many people, I was in this group, I didn't have the desire, right? So let's just name that. There was zero drive. Like I could just do without it. Never thought about it. I would never initiate. That's another way of measuring it. Do you actually reach out for sex? Are you starting something? But once I got going, it wasn't terrible. And so that's the arousal part of the sexual experience. They're different. All of us know this, right? It's, you know, desire and arousal are different. We might not have the desire to get started, but once we do get started, we can still have an orgasm. It still feels good. And then maybe we think afterwards, oh, that wasn't so bad. Maybe I'll do it three times a week. And then we don't because we don't have that desire part. So it would be a different situation if we never had an orgasm or if we couldn't reach orgasm or we don't have arousal or if we have pain with intercourse because of dryness or all the other things. But this is specifically speaking to that desire part, and that is the most common. 
Now, certainly those other things can happen too, and I'll talk about that, but just that first part. And I often liken it to what many people tell me they feel about going to the gym. Now, I happen to like going to the gym, so I don't experience this myself, but many people, they have no desire to go to the gym. It's like getting in the car and driving over there. That's just really difficult. But once they get there, it's like, oh, that was good. I'm glad I went. I feel good afterwards. I'm going to go to the gym three times a week, and then they go home, and then I'll go again because they don't have the desire part. So I definitely resonate with that feeling based on the going to the gym model. <laughs> so you might too. Some people love going to the gym. Some people just have to drag themselves there, but most of the time when they get there, they're glad they went. So that's what hypoactive sexual desire is like, I think. That's how it was for me. And then what are the causes? Okay, this is where it gets interesting. So remember that question five of that little survey that we don't actually do, it points to a lot of things that can cause low sex drive that are measurable. A really common one is taking antidepressants. That's probably the most common one. So specifically the antidepressants in the class of SSRIs, so selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and these are some of the most commonly prescribed ones like Prozac and Effexor and Paxil and Lexapro and a host of others they can wipe out our sexual desire. And then when we do get going, they can make it really hard to have an orgasm. So men and women both can experience this on that class of drugs. And so many people are taking them that we see a lot of that. So if you're on an SSRI, perhaps you need to be because you truly have depression. It can be a real bummer that it wipes out sex drive for men and women frequently. And then not only that, but it also can wipe out the arousal part. So that's a big one as a common cause. Now, there are antidepressants that are much less likely to cause that. And those are the ones that don't work on the serotonin pathway, like Wellbutrin or Cymbalta or a couple of others. They don't tend to have that particular side effect quite as much. And they're often prescribed for that reason. So that's a common one. Blood pressure medications having high blood sugar, diabetes, anything that restricts blood flow. So those are diseases that affect blood flow. So if we don't have good blood flow to the genital organs, men and women, we're going to have less desire and then also less arousal once we do get going. Any other neurologic medication or psychoactive medication, anything that sort of causes a flattening effect to our mood or brain can flatten libido because that is as we know, it's a spike, like a spike in that urgent, excited feeling. And when we're taking some type of sedative, like the benzodiazepines or even certain sleeping pills or seizure medications, it can just flatten that response. So we're just kind of don't want to do anything. So that can be problematic. Obviously, if you just had surgery in the vaginal area, uh, lots of reasons. Of course, if you don't like your partner, um, and we'll talk more about the psychological aspects, but lots of reasons that are common and measurable. And in my patient population, one of the most common ones is hormone change, like the hormone change that is normal as we age. When we lose estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, a lot of things happen in our brain. Now, I don't know if this is true, but it certainly rings true that when we lose our fertility, we're no longer fertile, biologically, there's no reason to have sex. If we were cavemen, that would definitely be true. It would be a waste of energy because we're not fertile anymore. So we can reason through it that way, that part of our ancient brain is just responding to the fact that we're not fertile anymore. 
Well, men are still fertile, and so they don't have that particular biological shutdown mechanism. Now, that's not the case for everybody, but it sounds true to me. So I do think that's probably part of it, just biology. As we get older, having sex has no purpose. <laughs> well, we've obviously evolved beyond that. So sex is for pleasure and for connection and for fun. And But those are things that cavemen didn't really have to worry about, perhaps. So that's perhaps one reason why this happens. So hormonal change, estrogen causes thinning of the vaginal tissue, causes dryness that can set in. And so we're not going to desire something that's going to be painful. That's just a normal human response. So if sex is going to be uncomfortable and we've got less blood flow, so it's harder to have an orgasm, well, we'll steer away from it. Not to mention the hormone change makes us sleepy because we're not sleeping well, perhaps. Moody, grumpy, all of those things wipes out sex drive. Naturally, we're exhausted. And then testosterone, which we've talked a lot about. Now, we have a lot of testosterone, as you all know, if you've been listening to this, as healthy women. In fact, we make much more testosterone than estrogen over our lives, certainly 10 times less than men. But as our testosterone drops, and it does so starting at about 25 or 30, it slowly drops. And it can get down to unmeasurable levels. Mine was zero when I was in my mid-40s. Sometimes it can happen very quickly that testosterone drops before the other hormones. So it can feel very strange. We're not menopausal yet. Why is this happening to me? I'm 45, I'm still having periods, but I've got no sex drive. That's how I felt and many of my patients do too. And in my case, there were a lot of factors there, but one of them was my testosterone being depleted. I know that because when I replaced it, that got dramatically better. And so, and now of course that's a study with just me in it, but I can tell you there are actually several very good studies that are randomized controlled trials, like the kind that we think are the most valid, that show that transdermal testosterone, that means not by mouth, because it's not good for the liver, as you know, transdermal testosterone in the appropriate doses for women helps sexual desire better than placebo. So does it work for everybody? No, but better than a sugar pill? Absolutely. And several very good studies showing that that's true without side effects. So testosterone is really important for libido. Now it would not be accurate to say there's a magic pill for this at all because sex drive is so complicated. Certainly mostly it comes from our brain. It's psychological factors that are driven by hormones sometimes and other neurochemicals in our brain, but it's not something that can be fixed with a pill for sure. So I'm not suggesting that at all, but as one of the factors that can improve sex drive, Testosterone can be really, really beneficial, especially if you have a good relationship, you're not on antidepressants, you're sleeping okay. There aren't any other major factors. That could be the only one. And then as we elevate testosterone, we see that gets better and that happens in my practice every single day. So not for everyone, but certainly for a lot of patients. So another thing that's really common, many or most of us have experienced, especially if we're really busy at work and we've got children, is lack of sleep, we're just tired. And then stress, that wipes out libido too. Our cortisol gets very high, that affects our hormone levels, it makes us tired, we're not connected, we don't want to participate in anything that involves connecting deeply with another person because we're so stressed, many of us have been there. So stress, sleep, common just 
basically taking care of our health, very much related to a good sex drive. Now, I've talked about before what I found in the study that led to my book, which are the two most common reasons to have decreased sex drive other than hormones. And those are issues related to our body image. For women, that's often to do with our weight or other changes that are related to aging, like baggy skin, gray hair, getting a tire around the middle, all of those things that happen as a result of aging. If we don't feel good about our body frequently, we don't want to be seen naked, we don't want anyone to touch us, so that can be a libido killer. And I frequently find when that gets better, whether it's with actually changing our body to something that we like more or just becoming more accepting of what's already there, either way, changing our relationship with our body image, we feel sexier. And we might see it with something as simple as not just simply losing weight, but if we gain some muscle because we're exercising, even if we buy a new dress, get a new haircut, anything that improves the way we feel about ourselves, we're gonna be more likely to share with another person. That's just very basic. So body image issues came up as number one, apart, apart from hormone change. The other one was resentment, which is some form of not liking your partner. <laughs> so as we know, resentment is anger that we're holding inside. I hate you because uh, I'm so mad at you about something that you did last week, last year, 10 years ago. <laughs> that anger that we're holding on to, it is a barrier to desiring connection. So, you know, that's why therapy is often on the list of treatments when I talk about treatments. Relationship therapy, often a relationship that needs mending or some resentment that needs clearing is going to be the source of the treatment rather than a pill. And you know, most of us want the magic pill for everything and getting into therapy or fixing an old relationship that's got some problems that have needed to be fixed for a long time. That might not be our first choice, but that might be the path that we really need to take if we want to heal that problem. I can tell you for sure, I do not want to have sex with someone that I'm mad at. Now men often don't feel that way, Sometimes that rubs up their sex drive, actually. And uh, this is just a fact. I'm not being sexist. Women respond differently, that we just shut down. We don't want anyone coming near us when we're mad at them. So resentment. That was on the number two, libido killers, not counting hormones. When I did the study that led to my book, The Secrets of the Sexually Woke. And I'm going to talk about those secrets when we get to the treatments for this particular problem. Okay, so let's talk about treatments for low sex drive, and I'm going to divide them into five categories. So there are two medications that are FDA approved for treatment of hypoactive sexual desire disorder. Now remember I said that HSDD isn't really a thing for postmenopausal women anyway, but we sort of loosely extend it to anybody. And both of these medications are actually FDA approved for premenopausal women which is not to say they don't work in postmenopausal women, but specifically the patients they were studied in were premenopausal women who met the diagnosis of HSDD using that questionnaire. And I'll tell you, both of them are pretty useless. I've never prescribed either one. I never will. Um, neither of them work much better than nothing, and both of them have a whole ton of side effects, but I'm gonna tell you about them anyway. Uh, number one, is a drug under the brand name of Addy. Might've heard of this. So it was FDA approved back in 2015, so about nine years ago. And many of you have heard it was marketed as the pink pill to kind of go up against Viagra. It's in no way like Viagra. So a little bit of history about 
Addy and why you don't hear much about it anymore. And frankly, I'm surprised it's still on the market, although it still is. Um, it was originally designed as an antidepressant. So it works on the brain, similar to the way antidepressants work, altering the neurotransmitters in our brain. So the drug company was studying this molecule for use as an antidepressant. Well, as it was being studied, it wasn't that good as an antidepressant, but they noticed that the women in the study had a few episodes where they described they had more satisfying sexual experiences. So drug company thought, cha-ching, this could be an amazing market. So they started pursuing it for that reason. Well, long story short, it's a pill. You have to take it every single day, like an antidepressant. If it works at all, it doesn't work for about a month. You take it at night because it can have some pretty awful side effects that we hope we sleep through. Uh, long story short, it works just a tiny bit better than placebo. So at the end of studying it for several months, slightly more women said it worked better than those who took a sugar pill, but only slightly more. So 50% of women taking Addy said they had more satisfying sexual experiences, an average of one per month. So very small change than placebo. 30% of women taking sugar pill, they said they had an overall improved experience. So 50% versus 30% on a sugar pill. So possibly slightly better than nothing, but that amounted to an average of one improved sexual experience per month for a drug you have to take every single day, potentially causes a whole bunch of side effects. So it can interact with alcohol, it can make people dizzy and faint and various other things. Now, the side effects weren't too bad. Most people can take it without any side effects, but we're messing with the neurotransmitters of our brain all day, every day to get this tiny little bit of benefit, which is slightly better than nothing. Yeah, so that's why it wasn't the female Viagra. It didn't turn into the great big blockbuster that they were hoping that it would, because it just doesn't really work. <laughs> so it's also, I think, just barking up the wrong tree. Uh, frankly, because sexual desire is so complicated. We already talked about it. it's mostly psychological, mostly due to things like body image, resentment, relationship issues, and then of course the big bucket of hormonal change. They didn't take that into account studying Addie because they specifically were not looking at postmenopausal women. That makes it much more complicated. So just to say, yeah, it's out there. I'm listing it as number one. Wouldn't take it. I also wouldn't take the second drug that was FDA approved for this disorder in quotation marks, also only approved for premenopausal women. It goes under the brand name Vilesi. The generic name is bremelenotide. So this is an injection that you actually give yourself 45 minutes before the expected sexual event. So it's a use as needed drug rather than every single day. So check that sounds better, right? Not taking something every day. You do have to inject yourself. So that's a bit of a pain. Now, Nobody really knows why this works. It works on the melacortin receptors in our brain. So this is another neuroactive drug. No one particularly knows why it improves sex drive. Uh, it does work a little better than placebo. Again, just a little better, similar statistics where there was a huge placebo effect. If you're injecting yourself with anything, and these are younger women, again, who were premenopausal and experienced decreased sexual desire from before, there's so many psychological elements that go into taking a medication. Just the act of trying to make it better, that elevates you, even if it's a sugar pill. So because there's so many psychological factors, you can see why the placebo effect becomes such a fuzzy issue uh, because we're dealing with an issue that's mostly to do with desire. So if we think something might work, 
or if we're even trying to make something work, that's a huge step in the right direction. So yes, the Bilisi worked a little better than placebo. A whole bunch of other side effects, as all these drugs have, uh, can elevate your blood pressure. It can cause increasing of uh, pigment because it works on the melanin in our system, so we can get hyperpigmentation. I mean, some pretty significant side effects for not very much benefit, but again, it's out there. And it goes in the same category as many other things we've talked about. Just because something is FDA approved doesn't mean it's great or that it works really well or anything like that. Uh, to get FDA approval, first of all, you got to spend a ton of money. So generally restricted to big drug companies, like the ones that make these drugs. And then the studies have to just show it's better than a sugar pill. And then a few other factors that the FDA might require, like side effects are not terrible, like it probably won't kill you. But there is a, in that way, there's a relatively low bar. <laughs> so something that's FDA approved, yeah, it works better than sugar pill without horrendous side effects probably. But it doesn't mean it's great or it works really well or even that it works for most people or anything like that. So just keep that in mind. FDA approval is just one factor and certainly not the only one. Uh, and there are plenty of FDA approved drugs, and I'll put those two in that category, that really don't work worth a darn and cause a bunch of side effects. So many, many drugs out there that are FDA approved that would be in a similar bucket, in my opinion. So there's those two. And then let's get to some things that actually do work. Number three, let's talk about hormone replacement. So just briefly, I'm not going to talk about hormone replacement again, except to say that replacing our estrogen, if it's declined in perimenopause and menopause, prevents vaginal pain with intercourse and dryness and improves blood flow to the clitoris and vagina so we have more sensation. And that in turn is going to cause us to want to do something more. Testosterone, I already mentioned, we know very well that it's very much related to sex drive. I mean, think about what happens to a teenage boy when they go through puberty. We don't want the testosterone of a teenage boy, but that's an example. If we give testosterone in the appropriate amounts to women, in the appropriate amount for a woman, frequently sex drive improves, as it did for me. Number four, I'm also going to say doesn't work, but I will mention it because there are a lot of supplements out there that are touted to improve sex drive. Now, absolutely none of them has been shown to work better than placebo in a study that's very good. But if you go online and look at uh, supplements for sex drive, there are countless of them because this is a really common problem. And, you know, sex is a huge business. And so there's so many products out there. Some of them are single supplements and others are combinations of things. So the common supplements that you might see that are touted to improve sex drive, there's a big long list. Some of them are ginkgo biloba, ginseng, fenugreek, horny goatweed. Sounds good, doesn't it? L-arginine, which is an amino acid, maca, tibulus, yohimbine, zinc, magnesium, DHEA. Now that's a hormone. So it is sold as a supplement because it's for whatever reason, not classified as a hormone, actually as a hormone. You might see some combinations of those put together in supplements. Some of them even quote that they have studies that prove that they work. None of those studies were really done comparing them to a sugar pill. So this is where we can get into these interesting issues. So remember with the studies on those FDA approved drugs, sugar versus the active drug, there was a huge improvement in both groups. 
slightly better in the drug group. So if you give someone a sugar pill, which could be fenugreek and ginseng, and I'll say that's a sugar pill, many of them are going to have an improvement in libido because there's a huge placebo effect. So I would be extremely careful about taking any of those things that I mentioned with the expectation that it will improve sex drive. Now, lots of them are great for your health, for sure. I mean, they have numerous other health benefits. For example, they might be a really great antioxidant, or in the case of L-arginine, has actually been shown to improve erectile dysfunction in men because it's part of the pathway through which nitric oxide is released and that dilates blood vessels, but never been shown to do anything in women. So sometimes there's a little bit of wisdom and then it's like taken off way further than actually applies to women. Not to mention, we're not even talking about postmenopausal women in this group. So yes, take any of those supplements if you have good reason to for their other healing properties. And every single thing on that list has certain properties that can be helpful. None of them have been shown to work better than nothing or better than a sugar pill, that is, for sex drive. I wish that wasn't true, but it is. And then in, in the last group, and maybe this is the most important, group number five, is psychological nurturing of various types, whether that is therapy with your partner to mend resentment or self-awareness work. And going back to the secrets of the sexually woke, remember from the study that I did that led to my book, I'm constantly reminded of the three things that came up in that group of women. Some of you might remember me talking about this before. So we isolated a group of women during the study that had a great relationship with sex and tried to find out what they shared in common and broke it down into these three major groups. And those were a mindset that was open to possibility, just a an optimism that things can be better, especially as we're getting older, that getting older isn't a march toward the grave, but rather an open field of possibility. So that kind of open mindset is going to lend to having a much better sex drive. You can just sort of feel why that would be because we're open, we're awake to the possibility of connection. We want things to get better. We're in that space, right? So that was number one. Number two was a good deal of self-awareness, knowing yourself first. And that might be knowing your body, like what pleasures you, what roadblocks you're coming up against, if you're having dryness or other issues, understanding your body, and then knowing how your own psychology works. Really important when it comes to things like resentment, being able to identify, I feel angry. Let's talk about that. Those kind of things, like simple, simple. And the third thing in the secrets of the sexually woke was attention and intention. So when it comes to the sexual experience, if we're experiencing less sex drive, being intentional about deciding, I really want to make this better, for example, and paying attention to it. Like I'm going to do what I need to put my mind on that and be mindful of the sexual experience and the whole issue to do with this low sex drive, making it important, in other words. So those are all psychological factors that frankly are the most important and including within those, those two that I mentioned already, body image issues, clearing those up however we can. And then of course, resentment again keeps coming up, but yeah, it's really a deal breaker. So I hope that was helpful. Uh, best information I can give you is that low sex drive is normal in quotation marks if you mean normal is common. That is in perimenopause and menopause, more women have it than those who don't. Common, 
but not optimal. So it's in the normal, but not optimal. Now, if you don't feel like it's a problem, it's not a problem. But many of us do feel like it's a problem and there are solutions to it. It's not something that we have to accept just as part of getting older. I'm certainly not in the group that thinks that just because you're over 50, you shouldn't have a great sex drive or that's not something that is worth pursuing. Not at all. If it is something that you want to make better, there's lots of ways that we can help with that. And there's not a magic pill, so don't fall for that. There's not, but there are some things that we could take that can help along with addressing the psychological issues and all the other factors that I mentioned. So I hope you found that interesting. If you did, please don't forget to subscribe, share it with your friends, and I can't wait to see you next week.